Hello, everyone. Welcome to the goddamn podcast. This is Mark Joseph Bennett. Welcome. I'm in the Toyota Prius recording studio. And I tell you what, guys. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to approach my life right now. I'm at I'm at some kind of some kind of crossroads. All right. I think I'm going to title this podcast. Everyone hates me. And uh, it yeah, that may be true. It may be true. As longtime listeners of the pod, hold on, I'm going to take off these fucking headphones. I've been wearing headphones because uh, yeah, my audio is going shitty every now and again. So I just keep the headphones on. But I feel like I'm in a bubble. Like I'm in some kind of goddamn spacesuit when I got the headphones on. You know, everything sounds like you're underwater. You hear, whoosh. don't like it. I don't like it. So if this audio gets all screwed up, so be it. I'm free. Oh, my God. My head feels so free. Plus, I just took a shower, and I had the wet hair and the headphones on the wet hair. And even though you don't know what time it is, it is 7.30 p.m. You know, you just took a shower at 7.30 p.m.? Yes, I did. Because I have a maniac for a son, just a baby who he, did, he slept 45 minutes today, all day long. And I don't know if you know anything about babies, but they're supposed to sleep a whole lot more than that. Anyway, this is just contributing. Contributing to the angst I feel in my life right now. Guys, I'm going to... I'll, 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 I'll just tell you, you know. Here's, here's what's been going on. Long-time listeners to the podcast, you guys know that, especially since I've had the baby, I've had this impetus to... Not just have the comedy career coast and stay where it is, but to pump it up, you know? I, I'm, I'm probably not going to the United States anytime soon. It was, it's, it's almost always the goal of stand-up comics who aren't living in the United States to go to either New York or Los Angeles and make it big. Guys, I made it. Look at me. I'm in Harvey Weinstein's hotel room. I've made it. Sure, I'll give you a massage, Mr. Weinstein. Why the fuck wouldn't I? Honest to God. What is going on with men? What? Are they all bad? Like, I'm a man. I haven't done anything like that. Is there something wrong with me? What is, what is happening to the world? You know... And here's the thing. Here I am bleeding on. I'm about to tell you guys about what I need to do to get more successful. But maybe there's a point where you're too successful. Do you know what I mean? And you just think the rules don't apply to you. And you're some kind of fucking caveman. And you can club everybody over the head and do whatever the hell you want. Like Harvey Weinstein was obviously bad to the women that he was uh, raping. Uh, but he's also bad to just everybody in general. Like, just he, he was a shitty to his brother. He was a bully in his office to all the people around. You know, and it's obviously that's not as bad as rape. But, like, he was just a shithead overall. Because when people get any kind of power, they just turn into awful... Ma- I don't know. Chicken or the egg, guys. Chicken or the egg. Are, do you have... Are, do shitty people... Do they desire that power so that they can be even shittier? Shittier on a grander scale? Like his old Harvey Weinstein thinking, I'm an ugly fuck. Nobody in their right mind would suck my dick. So 
I'll just get super powerful and then I'll just make people do it. Is that what he's thinking? Or do they change when they get in there? I got to I'd say it's a little from column A, a little from column B. The types of people who want that type of power are people who are already probably sociopaths or broken in some very significant way and then they get more power and then they that that gets amped up you know like 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 if you had a serial killer out there who wasn't a serial killer at first he's just some guy who really loves the idea of killing people and then uh he works his way up in the british secret service and they're like hey you got double o status buddy you have a license to kill and then, like he'll probably kill hundreds and thousands of people, right? I don't know if that example applies in any way, but what I'm saying is absolute power corrupts indefinitely. I think that's the saying. Okay, that being said, let's talk about how I can gain a huge amount of uh, popularity and influence, and then uh, and it'll be a good test. Guys, listening to the podcast right now, if you're listening, what is the date? It's Monday, October 16, 2017. So if you're listening to this podcast, you know right now I don't have a huge amount of uh, influence or fame, right? And so far, so good. I haven't uh, done any uh, assaulting. I haven't, uh, you know, I haven't, haven't done any of the things that I read that most men seem to be doing. So if I do, if I do garner some form of uh, recognition and success, you guys can look back on this as the genesis point of, hey, Mark figured out how he could get much more successful. And look at that. Just as he predicted, he turned into a crazy person who was assaulting everyone. I think I'll be fine. But maybe that's the very reason I won't get super successful. Maybe that's the type of person you have to be. It can't be. There's got to be some powerful people, some successful people who aren't total fuckwads. Right? All right, so let's push that aside and get back to the heart of the matter, which is me. Me and, and more me. As I was saying earlier, before I got distracted with the whole Harvey Weinstein thing. I, uh, I want to make a real push to, to do comedy in a way that I think I should be doing it. I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm good at my job. I feel like, but I feel there's a lot of room to grow. Not even, not necessarily, so, oh, I have lots of money and then people write me fan letters all the time. Not, not necessarily that, it's just with the boy. With the little savage child who sleeps 45 minutes a day, I just, I really feel the need. Like, of course, comedy is just filling a hole in my soul. I get that. I know that I'm empty inside, and that's what the laughter is doing for me. But now I have a, a legit reason to go along with that one. And that's just, I, I want to be a good example. I want the kid to be proud. You know, and I, I want to be proud. and I, But I don't want to do it to the point where I'm on the road 350 days out of the year 
and I never see the kid because that, that, there's no point in that. Then you're just using your kid as an excuse to not see your kid, if that makes any sense. You know, these people, they just use their children as some kind of reasoning. It's like, I'm doing it for my family. Really? You're, you're ignoring your family for your family? Make less money. Just make fucking less money and spend some time with your goddamn kids. Anyway, this is the uh, 2017 me talking. The, uh, who knows, the 2025 me, he, he, might, he might be saying, uh, my son hasn't talked to me in, in five years. I don't know. I don't think so. Guys, I don't think so. I think I'm a good person, but here, here's the problem. I'm not so sure I am. I'm not, I'm not totally convinced, and I'll tell you why. This is what this whole podcast is about, that nobody likes me thing. Is, uh, now that I'm getting back, I'm getting back out into, into the comedy scene. Like, I, I have my own stuff going. I have the clubs who book me. I have the bookers who book me. And it's just, it's kind of a machine that takes care of itself. So I've really fallen out of um, uh, sight of the local comedy scene. The, the open mics, the, the bar gigs, the, all the other comics around. Like, I, you know, I'm just, I just haven't been around. And uh, so I decided, in order to step it all up, in order to start getting those goddamn HBO, Netflix, Comedy Central comedy specials, getting on late night talk shows, doing festivals, things of that nature, then my current situation doesn't uh, lend to doing those things. So how do you do it? Get involved, become a face, become a name, become have people talking about you. Hey, you seen Mark Bennett lately? This guy's on fire. You know, that type of thing. Buzz. Buzz, they call it in the industry. This guy's got lots of buzz. But not the Harvey Weinstein buzz. That buzz is not good. That buzz gets you kicked out of the academy. Man, it's a sensitive topic these days. Maybe I'll get letters about this. James Corden just got letters about, uh, just got, a, a, he had to apologize because he did the Harvey Weinstein jokes and uh, at some award show, and all the people were saying, hey, the victims are upset about that, and uh, and he had, to, he had to come out and apologize. I think he should be apologizing for not being funny. <laughs> that's just me, though. No, but that's the thing. He's like, he was trying to say, and fair enough, he was trying to say, I was making fun of Harvey Weinstein. I wasn't trying to make fun of the victims in any way. I was trying to point out, you know, what a deplorable person he is by making fun of him. But I, if that did upset the victims, then I am super sorry. You know, I don't know. Like, I mean, you, you comedy, you're going to make jokes. I mean, our late night talk show hosts are going to make jokes about the, about the thing and the situation. It's just, but it's a sensitive time. You know, I don't blame the people for being upset. I didn't really hear James Corden's jokes, so I can't speak on it. I know I don't find anything he does or says funny. I know that much. Sorry, James, if you're listening. It's been a rough week for you. Hearing uh, all the backlash about the rape jokes you made and then hearing me say this on the podcast. I mean, this is it's got to be rough for you, bud. So, um, what the fuck was I talking about? I don't know. I got back into the Harvey Weinstein thing. I don't know why I keep talking about that. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's just on my brain. It's, it's all part of it. Guys, I'm in limbo. It's all part of it. 
you know, the wife wants to move to Ottawa, maybe. You know, I, I'm at a crossroads in comedy. And so I'll, I'll keep going with that. I, uh, I decided I'm going to start going out to the shows, show my face again. And, uh, and, I, and I thought it was going to be difficult in, in the sense that I'm not that familiar with a lot of people. A lot of the people running the rooms are people who I don't know. They're younger. Uh, they haven't met me. Um, and then I'm not used to doing these rooms either. So if I get up to do sets, maybe I won't do as well as I'm used to doing at theaters or comedy clubs because it's a different venue. It's, it's very different to do the open mic scene compared to doing comedy stages. And, uh, and you need to do both, I think. At least for this new push I'm on. I really think that you need to do both. And I've been ignoring one side of it for many years. Uh, so now I'm, I'm going back. But here's the thing. It's so much worse than I imagined. So much worse. Something, I, a hurdle I did not expect is, has, has come my way. And guys... I got, I got the bad bones. I can't jump hurdles. I'm just crashing into these hurdles. So what's happening is I go out and people are uh, shocked. They are beside themselves. You'd swear to Christ they saw a dead man. It's unbelievable. I show up and people go, Mark Bennett. Oh, my God, I haven't seen you in 10 years. I haven't seen you since the Civil War. Like, they, they're losing their mind, which is, it's weird because a part of me is kind of, uh, I don't know, pleasantly surprised that people recognize me after this amount of time. But the other thing is, can you take it down a notch? You know, like, I, I, I'm just trying to subtly go out to these things, re-ensconch myself in the comedy scene by just sitting in the back, taking in the shows, seeing how the shows are run, what kind of jokes fly at this venue, what kind of jokes fly at that venue, you know, get the lay of the land, shake some hands, reacquaint myself with some people, and then maybe after a little while get up and start doing some sets. You know, like, that. that's how I thought it would go. Instead, I walk in, and then there's, you know, I'd say 40% of the people don't know who I am. And the other 60% spend such an inordinate amount of time just asking me, so where have you been? What's been happening? I can't believe I see you. Like, so is this the last time I'm going to see you? Like, it's, it's unbelievable. And, uh, and it gets worse, folks. Of course, this get, of course it gets worse. It's me. It has to get worse. So I went to a show uh, last night. All right. And uh, this guy has been running a show for uh, a few years now. and But he moved the show to Sunday night. And... Uh, and so... And he changed the name of the show. And he got a new sign. And I thought... Listen, I'm out and about these days, guys. I'm trying to trying to get the career a little bit kick-started. Trying to bring it to a new level. Their opening night 
of the new venue, well, the new, you know, comedy show in the same venue, that'll be a good one to go to. The inaugural, inaugural? Yeah. The inaugural comedy show. And um, I show up and I get from uh, a lovely woman, uh, Kate. Kate's a, a nice comedian around in Toronto. She does very well. People like her. She's ensconced in the comedy scene. She has. She sees me at corporates. She sees me at comedy clubs and corporate events. So she knows I'm still around. But she also knows that I don't do these rooms. So when she saw me at one of these rooms, lost her fucking mind. And in a nice way. She was really happy to see me. And really encouraging that I continue to go out and do these things. And at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but Kate, shush, let's just keep it on the... Let's just not freak out. Let's just pretend that this is halfway normal, that I'm out, so that it doesn't become a thing, right? And she's like, okay, okay, I understand. I understand. But Kate had had a few drinks. And um, the guy who runs the show, he's a nice guy. He's a good comic. He sees me, and he says, Mark Bennett, I haven't seen you since the Laugh Resort days, which isn't true. I've seen him a few times since then. But it's fair that he thinks that was the last time he saw me because he's seen me very infrequently. And perhaps when I was there at his room, he didn't notice I was there, you know. Uh, to be fair, he definitely doesn't see me a lot. So he's talking about the old Laugh Resort, and Laugh Resort is a comedy club that was uh, a pillar of the Toronto stand-up scene for a long time, but it went down in the early 2000s. Closed, gone, kaput, see you later. Maybe the mid-2000s. I can't fucking remember. All I know is uh, certainly certainly it was 10 years ago that the thing is gone. So he says he hasn't seen me in 10 years is basically what he's saying. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I said, oh, the old Laugh Resort. That's crazy, man. Yeah, that was a long time ago, I says to the guy. And then he says, he said, yeah, man, you were. You were the shit, man, back then. You were like, uh, and I was like, what's that now? And he said, yeah, it's just that's everybody was talking about you, you know, like you. And he named a couple other people. And he said, you know, nobody else could get sets there. But you guys were getting their sets all the time. And and I was like, oh, geez, that's news to me. And like, I, I honestly, I, I think he was I think he was being complimentary. It It's hard to know for sure. But I think he was being nice. Uh, I took it that way anyway. And um but then he certainly had no interest in giving me a set. And honestly, I honestly don't blame him. I haven't been to your room. You haven't seen me as he, as, you know, in 10 years, as he's saying. There's no, definitely don't just throw me up on your show, especially on the opening night. I get that. I don't, I don't expect it, you know, and I don't expect even to go on next week or the week after or whatever. I'll, I have to go, you know, you put your time in, you know, you got to be fair, but it's just, I almost felt like he was trying to, say that to me I feel like that's some of the problem that I show up and then people think that I assume I should go on when I I don't at all in fact I don't want to because I'm pretty sure if I go up in these rooms I'm gonna eat my balls because I'm not used to this to these venues anymore I I the last thing I wanted to do last night was go up and uh do that comedy show and stink it up like that would have been horrific. Hey, I haven't seen you in 10 years. Get up there. Oh, you fucking suck now. 
Like, I don't want that. So I obviously, I'm not pushing, I'm not pushing the envelope here at all. Like I'm just trying to have a nice conversation and so far so good. You know. Now Kate, Kate, who's had a few drinks, she, uh, later on in the evening, she was like, Mark, you should do this show. You should get, you should get a set here. And I said, Listen, maybe sometime, Kate. Absolutely. You know, I said, but I haven't been here in a long time. I'm not I'm not going to ask for a set right now. She goes, oh, well, I'll ask for you. And I said, no, no, please don't. Please don't do that. And um, she said, okay, I won't, I won't. Skip ahead, of course, to five minutes later. And she says, hey, to, to the guy who runs the show, can I get a set? And talking about herself. And he said, of course, Kate. Of course, you're always welcome. You can have a set. And she goes, and also for Mark Bennett. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then the guy says to me, oh, man, like, Kate, me and Mark haven't hung out in, like, 10 years. So, like, I, and he's all awkward. And I was like, no, no, dude. I, maybe he wasn't awkward. I felt awkward. But I was like, no, honestly. Like, it, I said, don't don't think that at all. I said, that's just Kate. I'm not... I'm not trying to get a set. I said, I'll if I'll come here a, a bunch of times, and if there's ever a spot open up later on and you feel like it, don't even worry about it. Uh, I couldn't convey to him, you know, how honestly I didn't want that to have said that. Like, I didn't want Kate to have said that. I mean, God bless her. She was, she was, she was trying to be nice. But she, unlike my uh, listeners out there she does not understand the level of stranger I am anymore to these uh, to these guys who got their boots on the ground and I just okay so that's that's um, Sunday night now let's back it up to Friday night because you know guys I'm not just gonna come at you with one example and then say hey Everybody hates me. On Friday night, uh, there's this guy at uh, Absolute Comedy, which is a comedy club I, I frequent. They they give me sets. I recorded my CD there. I'm friendly with the uh, with the owner, and it uh, it's been a good relationship. So the headliner is a super nice guy. He's very funny, and. Uh, I hadn't seen him in 14 years. Now, that's not because I haven't been in the comedy scene. He lives in Montreal, and I live in Toronto. So it's understandable we haven't run into each other. Now, the last time I saw him is when we worked together in our first year of comedy, basically, like 14, 15 years ago. And there is a, there's a Just for Laughs show called The Homegrown Competition. So what that is, is they take homegrown talent, Canadian young people, and who haven't been doing comedy that long, supposedly. Sometimes, sometimes the participants are not new at comedy. But in my year, everybody was really new at comedy. It was a very fair contest, I thought. And um, I was in my first year of comedy, and there was another guy in his first year of comedy. Maybe I should just use names. Because this will get more confusing. And um, and I can use names because I'm not going to say anything bad about anybody. I like all the people involved. And so uh, Rodney Ramsey, he is the headliner this week. And he's a super funny guy. 
And his really good friend at the time, I don't know how close they are anymore, but was Quasi Thomas. And Quasi is a uh, a stand-up who was now in Vancouver, I think. He acts. He like, he's, he's an actor these days. And I'm sure he's also still doing stand-up. And, uh, but at the time, he lived in Montreal. So both Quasi and I have been chosen to go to this homegrown competition. And as you can tell from the name, it's a competition. And uh, now Rodney says to me, man, I remember when you and Quasi, you were out, we were, because we, the three of us were doing shows at Absolute Comedy in Ottawa at the time. And it was a week before the Just for Laughs contest in Montreal. So it's a week prior. So Rodney was saying tensions were high between myself and Quasi. Now, I am being 100% honest when I say I do not remember that. It's quite likely that there was at least an air of, uh, I wonder if I can beat this guy at this contest. Maybe. I don't know. I do remember Quasi was quite funny. I was doing pretty well at the time. You know, perhaps the two of us were looking at each other like, uh, this guy is this guy's my competition. Maybe. He said we were staring daggers at one another. He said, and then you did this thing, man. It was cold. And I'm like, what did I do? He said, you, uh, you introduced Quasi. You gave him this, like, crazy good intro. You know, and you, at one point, right before you brought him up, you went, this guy is the funniest comedian in the world. Quasi Thomas. And he said, and then he got up, and he was really flustered for the first five minutes of his set. He really didn't do very well for that first five minutes. And he said, and he was livid afterwards. And I was like, really? Now, I don't know if this happened. I don't have a good memory. So he seemed, the way he was recalling it, made it seem like not only did he remember it well, but that it's the type of thing that was discussed enough times for that to be in his brain still 14 years later, crystal clear. Now, I mean, let's uh, to, to give you closure, guys, neither myself or Quasi won the contest. We uh, didn't place. I'm sure he was as disappointed as I was. Um, but I ended up, I don't know what happened to Quasi at, at uh, Just for Laughs, but I ended up with a manager. I'll get to that in a second. I'll get to that shit in a second. But I'm looking at this, and I tell my wife that. And then she says, well, yeah, you were, you were super confident when I met you. Because I met her um, pretty close uh, to that time period. And she said, you know, you were, yeah, you were definitely confident. A lot of people thought you were cocky. And even though, you know, you said you weren't, you, you, certainly, you certainly didn't mind it when people said you were cocky. And I was like, really? Is that the... Is that the case? How about that? And um, then I go, like I said, to Sunday, right? And on Sunday, I'm hearing, hey, man, you, you, well, back in the day, you were the shit. Everybody was talking about you. And then yet the, the hesitation about putting me up. I really feel like it was a bit of you were the shit. And not like, I don't think in any way he was trying to cut me down. He's just like, you haven't been around, so 
you know, I run this thing now and I, the people who are supporting the room, the people who are showing up, that's who gets sets, my friends, not guys who, you know, did stuff years ago and now they're, now they're back because they need me. They need us. You need the comedy scene. Oh, you need us? Well, too bad. And I know he's not thinking that, but I feel like it's in there subconsciously, right? I don't know. It's probably all in my fucking head. But maybe it isn't. See, here's the thing. What about this? Folks, may I postulate, may I put this forth as a theory that uh, maybe I was a like a pompous prick and maybe that's why I did so well at the beginning. Like now I'm all like, oh, I'm just, I'm humble. I, I'm sweet. I'm complimentary to everybody. I'm not torpedoing people's sets by saying they're the greatest comedian of all time. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a lovely man. I've got a baby. I've got a cat. I, I, I stopped eating meat, you know, because I care about the animals and the planet. Maybe, maybe back in the day I was some kind of cutthroat. I was some kind of fucking, I'll stab you before I'll shake your hand. You know, maybe the Donald Trumps of the world, they, they get ahead. Maybe that's the thing. So what's weird is I've gone through, I've gone through a gamut of emotions. Ladies and gentlemen, a gamut. Because I, um, first I was thinking, this is terrible. It's terrible that people don't think of me fondly. And uh, I have to find a way to ingratiate myself to people. You know, clearly, I, I'm, on the, uh, I'm on the outs. Clearly, people aren't clamoring to, to be my buddy and to give me sets. So that was my initial thought when all this went down. But I've also reconsidered. What if I just say, fuck them? You know, fuck, fuck them all. And just be a, be a, an arrogant prick. You know, pump that up. And just go, go fuck yourselves. What do you think of that? I'm not doing your goddamn rooms because I'm Mark Bennett. And I do what I want. You know, I, I don't know. But if that's the case, what do you do? I don't know, start my own company? Start my own room? I don't know. Where I book people? Because if people aren't going to book me at their rooms. So I, was like, I had this discussion with my wife. I, I was saying, I'm talking to her about all these things. And, uh, and she was like, yeah, maybe you just need that spark. That uh, maybe you need that uh, confidence back. The arrogance. But then I explained to her, I'm not, I don't think, I think the arrogance was perceived, but I don't think it existed. Here's what happened. I, um, I got extremely fortunate at the beginning because of my God-given talent. You see, I'm working on the arrogance already. No, but I started, I started pretty good out of the gate. Here's the thing. When you start pretty well, you get far quickly. And the reason is, is that 
you're competing against a bunch of other people who are just starting comedy. And most people who just start comedy aren't very good. And so if you're one of the people who kind who comes out of the gate running, where you're you've kind of got your footing and for some reason you're just a little you have a little more of a natural talent for stand up, then you can vault past a lot of people because there's always a need for younger comics to do hosting spots, middle spots, fill in little roles because you pay the big bucks to the headliners, the you know uh, the guys that the names people know, you know. But there's always room for for the little guys, for the the ones who are just starting out. So that your competition pool is quite small. So I I won two contests right out off the bat. One was called Funniest Comic with a Day Job. And that was at the Laugh Resort, the aforementioned Laugh Resort. And uh, the prize for that was going to Just for Laughs to the warm-up week that year. And the warm-up week is just the week before the festival to just get, you know, people get the venues going and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really count. It's not part of the Just for Laughs festival. But it was really nice for me to go. I mean, I'm in my first year of comedy, for fuck's sake, and I'm at the Just for Last Festival uh, during the warm-up week, yes. But the clubs are still full, and I still had a great time. And someone wrote an article about me, you know, and it's uh, it was all great. Um, and, I, and then I also won a contest that was held on a beach. And uh, they had, like, over a thousand people. At this beach, and Russell Peters was was one of the judges at the end, and um, that's that's how I met that guy, and I won that contest. But here's the thing about these two contests: I wasn't competing against the big names in Toronto. I was just competing against people who were brand new, like me. You know, even that that contest on the beach, anyone could have entered, but people who had a reputation in comedy didn't enter because a it didn't look like a legitimate contest. And even though it was, the guy only did it one year and he never did it again. It was called Stand Up, Sit Down, Fight, Fight, Fight. Anyway, and I won 5000 bucks, which is a pretty big prize in, in stand-up comedy, even today, let alone 15 years ago. So um, I won that contest, but not against comedians who were professionals, against all amateur comedians. And as, of course, the other one, Funniest Comic with a Day Job, that goes without saying, everyone had a day job. So we were all equal level. You know, so then you get those two things. And I go to Just for Laughs, and I get kind of familiar with the Just for Laughs bookers. And then the next year, so technically I'm still in my first year of comedy, um, this girl Kelly, who used to be the booker for Just for Laughs, she sees me again, and she's like, you know, you did it again. You, 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 you had a great set again. Would you like to go to the homegrown? Which was, it's a prestigious thing to get as a Canadian comic, a young guy. So I was like, yeah. Yeah. And then, because I'm doing all these sets at the Laugh Resort, you know, I, uh, they, they trust me. I'm winning these contests, so they're giving me more sets. And, uh, you know, I, I, get, I get an agent because of that. One of my friends, uh, it was his agent, and she came uh, to watch him one day, and she asked me, do I have any acting representation? So I got her because I was just doing a set. And then I started getting some commercial work because of that. And then um, a booker needed, like I say, young guys to do the middle, young guys or girls to do the middle, 
sets that they don't pay you very much money, but they need somebody to fill in the time before the big headliner gets on. And um, so this guy, Ed, was looking for new talent. And the Laugh Resort, people managing the Laugh Resort, they said, well, we got this kid, Mark. He's uh, just won our contest. He's doing pretty good. And so Ed watched me and uh, he started booking me right away. So like out of the gate, all these things just happened. And then I go to Just for Laughs, and while I didn't win the contest, I, I still maybe maybe I did have a confidence because I I was still shopping myself around. Like I would meet, I literally walked up to people and shook their hands, go, "Hi, my name's Mark Bennett. Um, uh, I'd like to introduce myself and and ask you a little bit about yourself." Like doing crazy shit. I had a, I, I made a little DVD of myself, and I was handing them out to people. Anyway, so. I'm in, a, I'm in a van being transported to uh, a venue. My buddy's doing the show, and I'm just going along for the ride. Jeremy Hotz, who is a well-known Canadian comedian, he's in the van with us. We're making jokes. We're all laughing, you know? And uh, this guy, Bruce, is in the car, and he's looking at me, and he says, uh, who are you? And I said, oh, my guy, I was just, I just was in the homegrown competition. And, you know, he's like, oh, really? And he didn't even see my set. He just thought, that because I was a young guy then I was 26 I guess he said he thought I was marketable because he did he was down he had a management company in LA and most of the stuff he was doing was related to acting comedic acting so here's this young guy with long hair because I had kind of longish surfery hair and he just fucking signed me just like that no money or anything just like a an oral contract saying uh, blow job am I right Harvey Weinstein no I'll, I'll stop um, I'll stop. But it was it was an oral contract where he said, "Listen, if you move to Los Angeles, I will rep you." So I'm like done. And then I went to Los Angeles. So here's the thing: the reason I'm telling you all these things, a, to remind myself of how awesome I am. No, I'm doing it. I'm doing it to to try to explain why in the Jesus the misinterpretation has happened. So I think. These people who thought I was arrogant, they thought, oh, look, Mark, he get, he's got all this stuff. He never comes out to the rooms. Because here's the thing. I'm saying get back into the comedy scene. But in all honesty, it's get into the comedy scene. I never, I was never in the comedy scene. I was never somebody who did the open mics and the amateur nights. And not because I thought I was too good for them. Because I was, it was because I was terrified of them. I always thought, I always, for whatever reason, maybe it's because I grew up in Newfoundland and I never saw any live comedy. All I saw was the stuff on TV. All I saw was the stuff, A&E's uh, Evening at the Improv and Caroline's Comedy Hour and the Just for Laughs galas. You know, so I only, I only saw stage performance or HBO shows with like Richard Jenny. And uh, so I was always more comfortable standing on a stage as a stranger, speaking to a full room of a comedy of a comedy audience as opposed to standing up in a bar and talking to 12 people it's a different thing like when you go up and do a theater you know it, you can be way more distant you can do more of a performance but when you're standing up in a bar like you're just amongst the crowd and then you take two steps to the front and you're talking to people i find it very difficult to do the Hey, what's the deal with peanuts? Am I right? And while I don't do that, like what I'm saying is that people want to hear you speak as if 
you're having a plain conversation with them. I feel like that's that's the way the way it feels on the on the open mic scene and the and the rooms. Whereas when you're on a stage or a theater, you can perform. You know, you can get up with a, a slight persona. You can get up with some hand gestures and some some mugging faces. They call it mugging when you make a face in comedy. You know, or some. Uh, like Eddie Izzard, and you, you do the pantomime, you know, you do the miming stuff. I find all that stuff is way awkward uh, at these, uh, these comedy shows. So I've always avoided them. And another reason is that, like, I didn't think I was going to do that well on them. And while perhaps the, the word on me was I was arrogant, is I was so terrified that I wouldn't do well that I never took any risks like that. I just stuck to what I knew, you know, and, and see, here's the thing. I said this one time on a podcast. I just realized, um, a while ago about a friend of mine, his wife, because she was so, she's so shy and, um, she's so afraid I was making fun of her because I was a comedian that she's, she's always very aggressive and very mean to me under the guise of telling jokes, but you know, she's always taking shots at me. And then that's why and I, I said to you guys, the audience of this podcast, I said, be careful with when you're when you act like a shy person. A lot of times it can come off like you're arrogant because people think you don't want to talk to them because you're too good for them. You think you're too good for them. That's why you're not talking. Whereas they don't realize you're it's the exact opposite. Your self-esteem is not high enough to go talk to them. So you stay quiet and you keep to yourself. And then everyone thinks that you're just some pompous asshole. And I think that that happened to me a little bit. And what's weird is it played in my favor. People thinking I was a pompous asshole just kept, kept the machine moving down the line. Now that they know I'm not, it's not working out for me. Guys, I've, uh, we've solved it. Here we are. What are we? 41 minutes in to the podcast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up now in a minute. Because I'll tell you what. I just, I just proved through a very circular logic that the arrogance is necessary. Fucking arrogance is necessary. Yep. Maybe I'll call this one I'm an arrogant prick. No, I can't do that. Everybody hates me. What's more enticing? Anyway, don't write me and tell me. It doesn't matter. I'll already have the title up. But that's it. Whether or not I was arrogant, that's not the issue. That's not the issue, Mr. Speaker. It was because of the arrogant perception, whether warranted or not, it propelled me forward. It's time to be arrogant again. Oh, my goodness gracious. How does one fake arrogance? Maybe I'll just do like I did on this podcast and tell everybody about all the contests I won. That's pretty fucking arrogant. Are you guys impressed with me right now? I bet you are. And I'll tell you what. You talk about arrogance and greatness. Here's how I'm going to end this podcast with Tom fucking Brady. Now, I'm not a giant NFL fan. I love Barry Sanders back in the day. Now I kind of just watch it rooting for Tom Brady and the Patriots. Why? Because I'm a bandwagon jumper. 
That's part of it. But the other part is I love greatness. I love watching history. You know, in 20 years, when someone says the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, I'll be like, yeah, I watched him. Watched him in his prime. Watched him do the unthinkable. And so I read this thing on Tom Brady where he says, in order to perform optimally, you have to drink something like, I don't, it was something ridiculous, like six liters of water a day, bare minimum. And if you're going to work out, it's like 10 liters of water a day. Something crazy to the point where people had, uh, they had like doctors on, or doctors in the article going, yeah, that is, that's too much water. You can get water poisoning and you can die. So don't drink too much water. And uh, apparently what, what he was suggesting wasn't, and it was a book, some kind of book he wrote, because of course he wrote a fucking book. And uh, he, it wasn't an excessive amount of water to the point where it would cause water poisoning. But, the guy, but they were saying definitely err on the side of less water were the specialists. And I said, who the fuck are you? to tell Tom Brady and people like me who are listening to Tom Brady, who are you to tell us not to drink the water? You guys know I've been bleating on on this podcast about how the more water I drink, the better I feel. And even if I, that eight glasses a day, it's fucking nothing. If you, I have to drink about 16 glasses a day. I'm up to almost four liters of water a day. I'm doing at least three liters of water. The recommended for me is about two liters of water for my, for my body weight. So I'm up to three. I'm going to go up to four. Maybe I'll go up to five. Let me tell you, you, you sit there and you say air on the side of less than Tom Brady, Tom Brady, who else has done what Tom Brady has done? The man is, it's arguably the greatest football player of all time. He's gorgeous. He has enough time to fucking write a book and be a model and a spokesperson. Hey, let's not forget he married the richest supermodel in the world in his spare time. Let's not forget that, ladies and gentlemen. And you're going to tell me not to drink as much water as Tom Brady tells me to? Go fuck yourself. That's the first step to arrogance right there. You get yourself a pile of water, you shove it in your cake hole, you walk out to the stand-up comedy scene, and then you go, hey guys, arrogant prick Mark Bennett is back. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. I said shut up. Good night. We'll talk to you again soon.